As always, a big thank you to Myra Green for her music, her composition, Passing Places. Find out more about Myra Green and her music at myragreen.com or pop onto my own website, bonnytours.com and follow the story from there. Hello and welcome to episode 40 of Passing Places. If you're a regular listener, welcome back. And if you're new to Passing Places, I usually say every week it's my personal diaries of my travels around Scotland, usually in my motorhome, sometimes my motorcycle, and occasionally I get out and do some hill walking as well for good measure. So welcome to Passing Places. Now you join me this week at Bricks and Mortar. It's been a very quiet week on the travel front. I've been concentrating instead on shaking off a bronchial cough and concentrating on my new business venture, which is designed to bring in some pennies. I can earn a living whilst out in the van in the months and years ahead. So I wanted to do a quick uh, couple of shout-outs before we get into this week's episode, which is mainly about the Loch Awe area, and in particular the little gem, the little church of St Conan's, which is in the village of Loch Awe. I wanted to thank Keith Gray from Texas. Uh, on Facebook he sent me a message to say he was watching the Discovery Channel, a programme called America Unearthed, and it was all about the Serpent Mound. I think it's in Ohio, somewhere in the Midwest. And they mentioned there was a similar earthworks on just uh, adjacent to Loch Nell, which is south of Oban. And I'd never heard this story before, but I'm definitely going to have a look, Keith, the next time I'm travelling south from Oban down to Gilped or coming up to Oban. I'll drop in at Loch Nell and have a look. The differences when I uh, checked on Wikipedia were that the earthworks at Loch Nell are probably date back to the megalithic period around 2000 BC and this much better preserved serpent mound in Ohio is about a thousand years old. But there's quite a few similarities and I think there's one other one in the UK which dates to a similar period to the one in uh, Loch Nell. But uh, really interesting. So I'll maybe stop by and take some pictures and I'll uh, update the Passing Places podcast group when I do. I also wanted to put a special mention out to my listeners in Afghanistan. I hadn't really noticed in my downloads until last week. I was checking my downloads by country and I've had about 1,200 downloads from Afghanistan and I'm presuming that's from people serving in the armed forces. Uh, British forces, US forces and perhaps some other nationalities as well. So if you're out in Afghanistan and you're listening to Passing Places, I really appreciate it. And if you're from Scotland or you enjoy or have a passion for Scotland, I just hope it gives you a little bit of uh, a taste of what's going on on a week-to-week basis. So thanks for listening. And I also wanted to thank John and Joanne Hasty or Hasty. I wonder if it's Hasty for their pictures of Durness. They seem to have had a great few weeks up in the Durness area, which is, uh, if you listen to me going on about the North Coast, you know I love Durness. So I'm really envious of their uh, holiday up in Durness. So thanks for those photographs and keep them coming. And finally, in terms of the week that was, I wanted to mention the Podcasters Roundtable. Now, I started podcasting just come out for a year uh, in February 
and I've been following a number of American-based podcasters who do podcasts and videos about how to podcast. And it's a real badge of honour to be invited onto the Podcasters Roundtable. It's a live video feed that goes out on the internet as a Google Hangout. It's then turned into a YouTube video and produced as an audio podcast. And there are quite a big uh, bunch of people who listen to, or sorry, watch the programme live on Google Plus or on YouTube. And as I say, it's then listened to or watched by probably thousands thereafter. So I was invited on to the Podcasters Roundtable last week to talk about whether podcasters should have their own dedicated app in the App Store. And let's say the whole experience turned into a little bit of a disaster because my three megabyte broadband didn't uh, manage to reach across the Atlantic. And as the programme kicked off and the other guests and hosts were all in America on super-fast broadband, and here was I, a fuzzy picture with my audio breaking up. And the programme was on for well over an hour, and it should have been a fantastic experience for me, and hopefully pretty good for the listener, but it really was embarrassing. I couldn't quite hear what was happening during the programme and they couldn't hear me and I would need a really good audio feed for people in America to tune into my accent quickly so the whole thing left me really frustrated and I felt a great opportunity had been missed so I was sort of tail between my legs for a couple of days and I can't bring myself to either watch or listen to this particular episode of the Podcasters Roundtable so so if you want to see something quite excruciatingly embarrassing uh, jump onto YouTube and type in Podcasters Roundtable or if you go into your podcasting app, you can download the episode. The upside, if there is one, is that I came straight off that show and the next day I ordered fibre optic broadband for bricks and mortar. I'm determined to have the same broadband, same bandwidth as anybody else so that I can manage these live video shows if I'm invited on again and I can also deal with what I've said before about the number of people who want to come on to passing places I'll have proper high speed broadband so we can get good audio and video if required so if you're one of those people listening who've said they would be prepared to come on to passing places I'll get in touch with you during February and we should be able to move things forward from there, get away from the monotone the monologue episodes and bring some guests on to the podcast. So I'm really looking forward to that. That's the upside. I finally committed to um, proper broadband. So I had hoped to visit Lochaw this week, even for an overnight, and I didn't really manage to get away. So I thought I'd mention the Lochaw area anyway, and in particular a, a, a fantastic little gem of a place that I often drop in just for 10 minutes and it's the Kirk of St Conan's in the village of Lochaw. So in getting you to that particular location, I might as well tell you more about the area and how you might uh, tour or visit the Lochaw. Now Lochaw is pretty huge, it's the third largest freshwater loch in Scotland and it's the longest, not by much, but I think it's about 24 or 25 miles long. 
and it sort of runs east to west as well as north to south. And if you were down in the Crinan Canal, Loch Kilphead, uh, Kilmartin Glen area of Argyll, I often come up that way. And if you're passing through Kilmartin, the village, and as I say, that's a great area to explore in its own right, but you come to a junction, a right-hand turn, just maybe maybe a mile, mile or something outside Kilmartin, it's signposted Ford, and you take that single-track road to the little hamlet of Ford, which is at the south end of the loch, and you have an alternative there. You can either head up what uh, I suppose is the west side of the loch at that point. Now, I do go up there for a couple of overnight uh, spots I use. I suppose the Forestry Commission car parks. Great place to just go and have a, a really quiet overnight. Uh, I think even in the summertime, I haven't come across many people up that side of loch. It's a very narrow, single-track road. Great place to just go up and have a quiet night or two. You can take that road all the way up to Tainalt, which is on the main road between Dalmali and Oban. I would be reluctant to recommend it in a motorhome. Uh, it's not so much a scary drive as a difficult one in terms of passing places. Very, very difficult to... If you find a vehicle coming the other way, it's a very narrow road at times. And likewise on the other side, which is the more common way that I would take and most people take is going up the the single track road is again very narrow and the visibility is down to maybe 50 yards because of the, the tree cover and the bends in the road so if you do meet something coming the other way it can get quite uh, difficult I've often uh, travelled up the west side of Loch on my motorbike and maybe 7 or 8 years ago I cycled around quite a large part of Scotland and one of the days I cycled up Beside Loch so really highly recommended for cyclists. You want to escape the traffic and put some miles in your legs, then certainly cycle up either either side of Loch from Kilmartin. Now Loch is famous for its uh, fishing. A lot of people go out in boats and fish for pike and uh, wild trout and char. And invariably, the British record for uh, the largest brown trout almost always comes out of Loch I think the current record from maybe 10 years ago or so is a 31, 32 pounds brown trout. If you can imagine the size of a brown trout, bigger than the majority of salmon that ever pulled out the Scottish rivers. A huge trout that uh, live in Loch Awe. And as I say, people go out in boats and it's very popular with uh, campers. They'll come up and well camp and fish from the shore. And in turn, there's been some fatalities in Loch Awe. It's such a large expanse of water that if you're out and get caught in bad weather in a squall, it can get quite difficult. So be aware of that if you fancy a bit of fishing in Loch Awe. You can pick up a, a boat. There's a, a boatyard down at uh, Arbrechnish, which is near Dalmali. I think it's about £25 a day for a boat. Your permit and a few other things will bump that charge up as well but you can take a boat out for an hour or two if you're just looking for a little uh, chance to row out into Loch Awe and see the mountains from the the water so angling as I say very popular on Loch Awe and when you finally leave that little single track road you'll rejoin the main road which comes up from Inverary to Dalmali and just before the junction where the the road meets the Oban road you'll see 
right at the end of the east end of the loch, Kilchurn Castle. And it's one of my favourite landmarks in Scotland. It's often photographed. It's a, a ruin from a castle built in the 1500s. Initially, it was originally built on a, a small island. And with the various, I think mainly the hydroelectric schemes that have been uh, commissioned on the on Loch Awe over the years, the outflow from Loch Awe has been lowered into the river and it's reduced the water level slightly, which has now resulted in uh, Kilchurn Castle being part of the shoreline. So you can park up on that main Dalmali open road and walk down to the castle. And on a fine day, it's a great place for a picnic. You can wander around the ruins. Uh, it's perfectly safe and there are some viewing platforms and things that are there to make your visit a bit more enjoyable. And from the vantage point on the Inverary to Domali Road, there's a, I wouldn't say quite a lay-by, but areas you can pull over to take a photograph. And in summer, the hills are various shades of green, very, very green landscape. And in winter, very, very brown, shades of brown and gold. So depending on the season, Kilchurn Castle can be photographed in all sorts of different ways. It's a really, really bonny spot. So let's assume you've come up from the Kilmartin end and you've arrived at the junction for Dalmali. You could have come from Green Larich and instead of heading up through Rannoch Moor and Glencoe, take a left for Oban, arrive in Dalmali and as you come to the junction for the left turn for Inverary, you can pop down to that uh, turn off or lay by and get your photographs before double back, before doubling back and heading for Oban. So you come round the top of the loch there and you arrive very quickly in the little village of Loch Awe. Uh, quite imaginatively named after the loch. And the village and some of the housing really only came about with the introduction of the railway. And as you come into the village on your left hand side, you'll see a signpost, a little car park and a church sitting down below the level of the road. And it's called the St Conan's Kirk. Now, this is a real gem. You've heard me in previous episodes mention the the whole story around the Dan Brown uh, Da Vinci Code and the chapel at Roslyn. Now, St Conan's is actually quite modern in comparison. It was only finally completed in 1930, but it's a really interesting story. There was a, an amateur... Architect Walter Douglas Campbell, part of the whole Duke of Argyle uh, lineage, I suppose. And he and his family built a house on one of the small islands on Loch Awe. And his mother didn't uh, fancy or enjoy the the journey to the, the church on a Sunday to Dilmali. So he built a small church on the shoreline of Loch Awe, just where the village is. And I think he started in... 1881 and it was a very simple affair after five or six years he had this small church he had far greater plans and he continued to develop the church from I think 1907 until he died in 1914 and the church was unfinished and then the first world war broke out but his sister continued uh, the work to his plans and she in turn died in 1927 and the trustees 
of the estate finally completed the church in 1930. And it was built from local boulders and stone that come off the hill. Uh, and it's a remarkable, unique church because I'm no expert on architectural design from different periods, but this place has got every imaginable style of architecture you can imagine. It's a, a one-off and you know my preference for avoiding the crowds and to uh, go to places where you have to pay and display and there's a cafe and there's a turnstile and there's a gift shop and there's a guide and you know, no photographs and all these sorts of things. If you do pass through the village of Loch Awe, you must, and it really is a must, you must park up in the little car park and wander down the, the gravel drive to the Kirk of St Conan's. It's an amazing little church and I'll definitely do an episode from there this year and get some decent photographs. You can jump online and check it out at uh, St Conan's Kirk and that's S-T-C-O-N-A-N-S kirk.org.uk It really is a fascinating little place in terms of the architecture but just there's something about the, the church because it's so quiet. I've never actually met anybody. Uh, it's always open. It's free to wander around. And since it was completed in 1930, which seems not that long ago, it's obviously uh, beginning to show signs of age and the trustees are always looking to raise funds to maintain the fabric of the church. So they encourage you to leave a donation. And if you go onto that website, there's various ways that you can support the upkeep of the church. But there's a little cloister area which is really, really interesting. And also when you're in the church, as I say, there are so many different aspects of the build. And you can wander around the grounds outside and get the the views of the architecture on the outside. And it really is uh, somebody's pet project. There is no way that I could imagine anybody creating a church like that. It's a complete one-off. And one of the little interesting parts of it, there's the, I think it's called the Bruce Chapel. But there's one of these, say it's a tomb, there's a, what do you call the the shape of the body lying out on the slab. And it's in commemoration or dedicated to Robert the Bruce. And on the plinth, there's a little glass fronted box. And there is allegedly a, a piece of bone from Sir Robert the Bruce, uh, King of Scotland. So if you want a place to visit that's really interesting and doesn't involve any sort of uh, commercial aspect at all, visit St Conan's Kirk. And I'm going to be reminding you in future episodes and twisting your arm that if you're ever in Scotland, not only is Kilchurn Castle really worth a visit, but drop into St Conan's Kirk. And as I say, I'll get some photographs and record an episode from there in the months ahead. So let's assume that you visited the St Conan's Kirk and don't let me down. There's a few other places I'd like to mention as you head towards Oban. There's the Kruachan power station, which is a hydroelectric scheme. One of the few where they pump water up to a, a man-made reservoir on using off-peak electricity and then get the electricity coming back down. But in the creation, the construction of the whole hydroelectric scheme, they had to 
uh, tunnel right into the centre of the mountain. And it's now a visitor attraction. There's a car park and visitor centre. And you can go on a tour which takes you right into the heart of the mountain. And there's a huge, uh, ginormous cavern within the mountain, apparently bigger than you could fit the entire Tower of London inside this cavern. And all the turbines are there. And it's really worth a visit if you're uh, interested in how hydroelectric works or just to see what the inside of one of the Scottish mountains looks like. I think they call it the... I see they've rebranded recently. It's called the Hollow Mountain Tour. So that's worth a visit. And if you're a hill walker, the whole mountain ranges above the north side of Loch Awe, Ben Cruachan included, are well worth a visit any time of the year. So that's uh, another reason for visiting the Loch Awe area. And finally, Bon Awe Iron Furnace, which is at Tainalt, which is further along the road towards Oban. It was the probably the largest and the last iron ore furnace to exist in Scotland. And at its peak, it employed about 600 people, most of them during the summer. And they were involved in the woodland areas, uh, producing charcoal. The entire furnace was uh, fuelled by charcoal. And in the furnace itself, they employed about 20 people. And the iron ore was imported from Cumbria in the Lake District in England. And one of the things that the Bono Iron Furnace is famous for was the production of cannonballs during the, Napole- the Napoleonic Wars. So Nelson and his ships were firing cannonballs made in the Bono Iron Furnace. So it's it's a great place to visit because it's the most complete uh, iron ore furnace still in existence. I think it was opened in 1753 and uh, probably finally closed in just at the end of the 19th century, I think 1876 or so. But a really interesting part of the early uh, industrial phase of the Highlands and, as I say, employed a huge number of people in its heyday. So lots of other places I could mention around the area. But assuming you're on your way to Oban, uh, the gateway to the Isles, you could include Loch Awe on your travel around Scotland quite easily whether you're coming up from Kilmartin or up through Crean uh, Larrach and Tyndrum. You could even be coming down from Fort William over the Ballyleash Bridge instead of heading down to Glencoe. Take a right for Oban, take an Oban and then come back via the road to Dalmally and either go down to Oban, sorry, go down to Inverary or stay on the road to Crean Larrach through Tyndrum. So that's my quick uh, little snippets about Loch Awe. If you have any questions or if you've been there and have some photographs, if you've been there recently, uh, jump onto the Passing Places podcast group and share them with other people who listen to the podcast. So I've got a busy weekend uh, locally this weekend and then I'm actually able to get away on a proper trip. And when I've been looking at my own diaries over the last three or four years, I've noticed that I really pick up the pace in February of each year. We've got so much extra daylight since the shortest day, and we're getting four or five minutes extra every day already, so I'm really hoping that from February onwards I can hit the road again. And my target is to 
spend more time in the van in 2014 than I managed in 2013. And that's going to be a big challenge because I probably spent the best part of eight months in total in the van. So I look forward to catching up with you next week. And in the meantime, stay in touch with the podcast. You can ideally go on to the Passing Places podcast group on Facebook. Jump on to bonnytours.com and leave me a, a comment or use that SpeakPipe voicemail service to uh, leave some audio and I'll include it in the next week's episode of the podcast. You can find me on Twitter at bonnytours and you can support the podcast by clicking any of the Amazon links if you're going to be shopping on Amazon. So if you've done that recently, thank you. It's really appreciated. And if you'd be willing to come on to Passing Places and have a chat about your interest in Scotland, that would be fantastic. As I say, I'm looking forward to get myself set up fully to have almost co-hosts, but certainly guests on the podcast. So that's something to look forward to from February onwards. And hopefully my hoarse voice will have been uh, a thing of the past by then. So I'll bring this episode to a close. And as always, I say, if you're out and about in your travels around Scotland, I hope I can catch up with you at some point. And in the meantime, stay safe. And I'll play out with Myra Green's music or composition, Passing Places. Thank you. <laughs>